We are born again to be human again. We are born again to be human again. It was a statement that Zamo and Tuli, who opened up our summit on Friday evening, she kicked off. And it was, it was a statement that, uh, that really just struck me, that we're, we're born again to be human again. Just what is it that is to be human? What was the design of God? What is that thing? What, what is it that we have been called to? What is it that Jesus truly did? What is it that the gospel has unlocked for us, covered us of, made us allowed to walk into, given us access to? All of these words that we, we wrap up in this terminology, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love this statement, we're born again to be human Again. And so what we're going to do today is just look at a, at a couple of things of what it means to be human again. Is that okay? We're going to just have a look at that. I, I love Erwin McManus is a pastor of Mosaic Church in California, and, uh, and he, he wrote this statement. He, he writes in a book, Every step the church of Jesus Christ takes to bring people of different cultures and colors together, no matter how incremental or insignificant it seems, will be like a light in the midst of darkness. I'm so conscious that we stand here today, and uh, some of us may not be aware of this, but as we have got to enjoy people leading us in worship, as we enjoy air-con and cushion seats, there are people just 12 kilometers from us in the city center that are fighting for their livelihoods, and some possibly fighting for their lives, as the threat of locals trying to shut down foreign businesses uh, was put on high alert for today. And so while we sit here, just 12 kilometers away, people are experiencing something very different in our town center. I wonder as we listen to this word, as we listen to the we're born again to be human again, I, I wonder what side of history we'll find ourselves on. I'm so sorry for that cough. Jesus, heal that little child. That was a very chesty cough. I wonder what side of history we'll find ourselves on. I wonder when stories are written about today, as foreigners possibly lose their livelihoods, and I pray God, not their lives, I wonder who we will be reckoned with. Will we be those as gospel carriers that just retained the gospel, or will we be those that were deliverers of the gospel? Will we, those, will we be those that are counted as those that just receive the grace of God, or those that become the product of grace, the grace of God? Will we be those that hold on to our privileges, or will we be those like Jesus who considered himself, who didn't consider Equality with God is something to be grasped, but he emptied himself in order to come into our brokenness and into our pain, in order that we may find a redeemed story and a restored story. See, because our brokenness today, sitting in this room, is a very different brokenness to what other people are experiencing, and because we may not necessarily identify or we may not necessarily even carry that within our framework and our thinking, it may be superfluous to what our frame of references. But you see, the gospel demands, the gospel demands of us something. It's not just an invitation. At the very least, it's an invitation into freedom and into life. 
But more than that, it demands us to take hold of this grace in order to become those that would give access to others, that they too may be able to find the love of a Father through Jesus Christ as we live out these gospel lives that we are called to. Which side of the story will we be reckoned with? Zechariah chapter 3 verses 8 says this, Listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. Men symbolic of things to come. So I just wanted to start here today, just as we're looking at something of the gospel story, are we looking at what it means to be born again, to be human again, what that looks like, as we're going to look at a couple of elements of that. Uh, we start here as uh, the, the prophet Zechariah, a man called by God, graced by God, to speak to the people of Israel, God's people, who had turned their back on God, who had started to do sinful behaviors and rebellion, etc., etc., and Zechariah then speaks to Joshua, uh, a man leading, and a couple of people. And so let's, let's put ourselves into that story for a bit. Um, I, I'm calling you, Richard, and those of you that are seated in front of you, uh, the Scriptures say, those seated before you who are men, will you be men and women, symbolic of things to come? And so what the prophet Zechariah is saying under the, the, uh, the, the inclination of God, under the, the leading of God, is this, that actually Jesus was still to come, but he's saying, these people called Israel, these people that are supposed to be the ones that carry my grace, supposed to be the ones that are a blessing to all nations, but who have turned their back on me and have started to do rebellious things, have started to do evil practices and evil things. Will you, Joshua, and those that are seated before you, will you turn your back on all of those people and will you become men symbolic of what I want to be. I, I am going to bring Jesus Christ. I am going to bring the one who is fully human and fully divine, who is going to reorientate you to what it means to be human. But in the meantime, until Jesus comes, will you be symbolic of what it means to be human? Will you be the ones that will be a blessing to all nations? Will you be a one with the, the one who turns the other cheek? Will you be the one who dispenses the grace of God? Will you be the one? This is what is asked of Joshua and the people sitting in front of him. And we read in Zechariah chapter 1. So, so kind of this was Zechariah 3. What just led up to that? And we see this. The Lord was angry with your ancestors. Therefore, tell the people this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty. And I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Do not be like your ancestors to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Almighty says, turn from your evil ways and your evil practices, but they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. And so this is the context Zechariah is speaking in, where God has passed judgment on Israel, His called people, His chosen people who have chosen not to walk in the blessing of God, uh, as well as the dispensation, as well as being those that are gospel carriers of the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. And then we see this moment where he says, will you, Joshua, and your associates, will you, sitting here, be symbolic of things to come? And then we see just after that, uh, in Zechariah 3, verses 9 to 10, see the stone I've set in front of you, Joshua. There's seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, and this is what it will say, I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. In that day, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and your fig tree, declares 
the Lord Almighty. And so we sit here today as those that live post-Jesus Christ. And so in one sense, we are no longer symbolic of things to come because Jesus has already come and shown us what it means to be fully human. And so in one sense, we're actually not symbolic of things to come, but we rather authenticate the one who's already come. So to all of those that do not know Jesus, all of those that are outside these doors and every church's doors today, those that are in the city, those that are possibly causing mayhem right now as I'm preaching this in our city center, to all of those people, when they look at our lives, we should be those that authenticate that there was one who came and forgave sins and whose grace has come and we haven't just received it, but we've become the product of that grace. And therefore, we're not just gospel carriers, but we're gospel deliverers. Can we be those people? And so on that side, we are authenticators of the one that's already come. And yet we also know that we still live in a broken world and there is a day when Jesus is going to return. And so in that day, uh, we know that humanity will be redeemed completely and the earth will be redeemed completely. And so there is still something of symbolic of things to come. So we both point to a future as well as authenticate what Jesus has done for the sake of those that don't know Him. And so this is the story that uh, we read. And, and so I want us to hear these words today I, as though I know they were written in a time and space and God spoke to Zechariah for His people. But could we appropriate those words for ourselves? Can we be men and women that both authenticate the one to come, that, that has come, being more fully human? And can we be symbolic of things to come in the way that we live our lives? And so what does it mean to be symbolic of things to come? What does it mean to be human again? I just want to take three things out of this text of Zechariah that we see. And the first is this, will you turn from your evil ways and your evil practices? So let's just have a look at something of that. And then it says, will, I'm going to wipe out sin in one day. Will we be those that would receive the grace of Jesus Christ? And then it says this, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and your fig tree. Will we be those that extend invitations for other people to live in the grace that we have received? But there's a bit of a trajectory here. So we're going to just have a go. We're going to have a look through this. Is that all right? So that's where we're going to go today. And I hope by the grace of God, I do a better job than the first service. So far, so good. Thank you, Elba. I've got two people who are in the first service and says, no, 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 that wasn't good enough. I'm going to come to the second and Rich, please do a better job. No, no, turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. I want to just, there, there was a scripture that came to, uh, that in my devotions this week that, that haunted me, absolutely haunted me. And so I'm going to present I mean, evil ways and evil practices. I mean, I, how long is a piece of string? These things are numerous. And so I'm not here to try and go through all of that. There's one element I want to pick up that I think we as the church can do better in collectively. And I'd like to present it as an area uh, where maybe it seems harsh. I'm just using the, the biblical language of turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. And I, and I get that maybe some of, for some of us that could be harsh language. I, I'm not meaning it in its harshness, but could we just give consideration that the Spirit of God would awaken us to a different gospel story, uh, a different way of living. And so I want to I focus on this area of, of how we live our lives in relationship with others. Because as a pastor, over the past two years, we all know the tragedy of what has taken place. COVID and the pressure it's put on everybody, I, we get that. There's been many, many external things that have put pressure on people. But there's been one common thing that I've noticed as a pastor 
on people that have fallen apart in this time. It's that they haven't built their lives in such a way that they've got relationship that can hold them through tough times. And then I was reading through my devotions this week, and I came across this passage in Judges chapter 18, verses 28, and there's this family, and they're living, and some people come and raid them, and they've got no one to call on to protect them. And it says this in Judges 18, verse 28, there was no one to rescue them because they lived a long way from Sidon and had no relationship with anyone else. And here were guys just trying to get on in their life, and it actually says in the verse before, they were living at peace and with security. And so I just started asking God, like, huh? They were living at peace with security, and yet external enemy came and raided them, and they had no one to protect them because they lived far away, and they didn't have a relationship with people. And I kind of go, actually, Jeepers, peace and security is not built upon things that we would sometimes consider peace and security built on, because the Scriptures would say even those that thought they had peace, thought they had security, would be overturned by the enemy. Therefore, peace and security has to be found in something else. And I'd love to say this today, that actually it's found in relationship. And so for me, this, I read this scripture, there was no one to rescue them because they lived a long way from sin and had no relationship with anyone else. That's, that's a function of physical distance. But today, it's not a function of physical distance. It's, it's a function of our emotional distance. I am emotionally distant from my next door neighbors who live across a wall. And so in a day of trouble, will they come to rescue? Will I go to rescue? We sit here Sunday after Sunday, and to many, we are emotionally distant. I get that in a Sunday context, where I don't think we're called to be uh, best friends with everybody in a, in a Sunday gathering. But we do have to have some people in the community that we are not emotionally distant from. And so can we... Can we turn, I'm, I'm going to put it into, into Zechariah's words, can we turn from our evil ways and our evil practices? Why is it evil? So evil, evil is not necessarily a commission of ugliness and sin, but actually it's also just the omission of doing things God's way. And there are people in this world, I think people fall into one of two categories. Either they've positioned themselves here where they've got no relationships because they've chosen that. Because we think actually life is more peaceful when there's less people in it. If I don't have to deal with broken and messed up people, my life will be more peaceful, yeah? Am I the only one that's thought that? Yeah, okay. I, I certainly have thought that many times, particularly over the last two years. But I also know that's not what the gospel teaches us. I also know it's not what the gospel teaches us. And so there are some people, some, some of, so the scriptures talk about uh, looking after those that are vulnerable, and immediately we go to the poor and to the weak. May I say this, some of the most vulnerable people I know live behind very high walls with very big bank accounts because they've got no emotional proximity to people. And so when the day of trouble comes, they suffer alone. And so this is not about physical distance, it's about emotional distance. And I think as a community, we've got to, we've got to say there are some people who've positioned themselves there and there are some people, and particularly in our nation, that have been positioned there by others. What does the gospel demand of us? Does it demand of us that we actually go there? What, what if Jesus had said, actually, but they, they've chosen to be there, or they've positioned themselves there? What if Jesus had done that? You see, Jesus did something different. He said, I recognize it. I know they're unable to overcome that emotional distance, and so I'm going to go and invade their space. 
I'm going to go and position myself in their emotional distance because I know it's good for them. You see, today, psychology, pop psychology, not pop psychology, yeah, pop psychology. It's all about how can we self-care? How can we look after ourselves? How can we, listen, if somebody doesn't want you in their space, don't go in their space. There's elements of truth to that. There really are. But I think we've taken it and we've, we've superseded the gospel uh, with, with that kind of a theology or an understanding. I'm so grateful Jesus didn't listen to pop psychology, which says, if they don't want you, don't go into their space. Jesus is like, hell, no. I'm coming into your space because you need me, because you don't even know what's good for you. You're caught up in your own lostness and your own brokenness and your own sinfulness. I'm going to come into your space. See, the gospel says something different for us. And so just as we look at something of this turn from your evil ways and your evil practices, can we be a church, friends, that keeps putting ourselves into people's space? That they are not going to be overcome by the enemy because they don't have relationships. That in a time of trouble, they know they can call. At a time of trouble, they know someone will rock up. At a time of trouble, even when they don't call, we're there. Because we've made it our business to be involved. We've made it our business to know. Because our hearts beat for that. The gospel demands something of us. I loved what Zamo and Tuli said on Friday night. Have we just been the recipients of God's grace or have we become the product of God's grace? Is there, are, we, are we those people that will consider others, that will lay down our lives for others? Will we keep putting ourselves into those positions? And so the question just to ask us ourselves is, have you kept your emotional distance? Have you kept your emotional distance? In the context of this message, we are born again to be human again. If you are born again, and we're going to look at what that means, if you are born again, can we drop our emotional guards, friends, to be true community, to authenticate the one that has come? The Jesus who showed us what it was like to be fully human. The one who expressed his pain with his disciples and actually allowed them to minister to him. Can we be those people? Secondly, it says there that in one day our sin will be removed. Can we be those that receive the grace of Jesus, of our sin being removed? I don't know why humans struggle so much with, uh, with receiving forgiveness of sins. I don't know why we battle to forgive ourselves. I do know why. Because we are broken. Where Jesus has forgiven us and we come to him and we say, would you forgive us? But we still hold ourselves in that space of unforgiveness. We say, Jesus, it's okay for you to forgive us, but it's not okay for us to forgive ourselves. If we would receive that forgiveness. You see, there's always a gap between the number of people who profess to be born again and those that possess the reality of being born again. There's always a gap. My desire as we preach week in and week out is that that gap would close. That gap would close. And so maybe you're sitting here, and I, I want to help you know if you're born again. Uh, maybe you're like me many, many years ago when I gave my life to Christ. I wasn't so sure. How real is Jesus? How is this true? I, I think I gave my life to Christ 15 times. Just is it, is it true, Jesus? Is it as good as you say it is? Is it true? 
And so what does it mean to be born again? I, I think there are a couple of things, just four elements I want to raise that you can even know, your, you can know for yourself. You can settle within yourself salvation because it is so, if, if we can't settle salvation in ourselves, we battle to carry the grace of God for the sake of others. And Zechariah the prophet said, he said, I am going to send one the branch, well, on behalf of God. He wasn't going to send one. God was going to send the branch, the one who would wipe away all sin. And so fundamentally what it means to be born again is that the Holy Spirit is communicating a conviction about Christ's moral beauty to the eyes and ears of our hearts. I know that's a whole lot of fancy language, so let's break it up a little bit. Just first, to be born again is that our communion of God would lead us toward what it, uh, towards a conviction of faith. If we don't live in a day-to-day growing conviction of faith, of what it means to be like Christ, of what it means to, to read the Scriptures and have them wash over us, to allow the Scriptures to read us as opposed to us just reading the Scriptures, uh, if, if we don't have that conviction of faith, then we must ask the question, have, have I received Jesus fully? Secondly, we see this, that uh, just the location of the interaction with God is in the heart. It's, it's not just the cerebral thing. We, he doesn't bypass the mind. It's, it's, it's fully the mind, but it's also the heart. How many times do we say, like, for things that we're not fully engaged and we just say, oh, my, heart, my heart wasn't there. My heart wasn't there. And so unless our heart, it's our heart that allows us to do things joyfully. It's our, it's our heart that allows us to come here and worship joyfully, to be here not, not as a chore or not as a, oh, it's the Sunday thing and that's what I must do as a religious activity to accomplish. I'm grateful. If that's what's getting you here, I'm grateful. But I trust that the preaching of the gospel transitions you and transforms you. But there is this thing that actually we have a conviction of faith and it is in the heart where it's our desire, it becomes our natural desire, not just a work of discipline. And that the communication, the subject of what God is doing, how do we know if we're born again? Well, actually, if the moral beauty of Jesus becomes more pronounced in our lives, do we want to be more like Him? Do we want to understand His morality? Do we want to take hold of that in the midst of, a, of an entire generation and world that is crying out of a different morality? How do we handle that? Are our, is our heart, is our mind geared towards actually it's the morality of Jesus Christ and it's that thing that my heart beats for and we want to search out what that looks like in today's day and age. And then fourth, it obviously just leads to changed behaviors. It motivates us to be like Christ in holiness and righteousness. We read in Acts chapter 11 of um, a group of people in Antioch, and there's word that these people have started to receive the grace of God. And so they send Barnabas as one of the disciples, uh, the early church disciples, and they send Barnabas. And it says in Acts chapter 11, verse 20 something, 23, 27, it says, and, and Barnabas, when he arrived in Antioch, he saw the evidence of God's grace. We saw what grace had done amongst the people. And so when we come here and we talk about Jesus Christ who's come and sin has been removed in a day, is there the evidence of God's grace upon us? And so a question we need to ask for us on this is, what is the evidence of God's grace in your own life? I can tell you this, uh, and it was, Saturday was beautiful for me. 
Saturday evening at the summit. Uh, for seven years, we've been doing uh, what was the 133 conference, now the Anthem Summit. And for seven years, I've preached a message which keeps, keeps calling us into our future, keeps calling us into the, uh, the kind of community that I would like us to be, that I feel like God's calling us to be. And uh, about 10 minutes into my message on Saturday evening, as I was speaking this and calling us to that, as I looked around the room, I was like, we've reached the tipping point. We're there. What we've been preaching for seven years, we're there as a community. The evidence of God's grace was abundantly clear. I had the privilege of seeing it. I know that not everybody can be on the stage, uh, and so you didn't have the chance to see it from the vantage point with which I saw it, but I trust that you got to see it while you were having dinner and having breakfast on Sunday morning. But it was so beautiful to see the evidence of God's grace amongst us as a community. You may be new into the space and asking, well, what is, what is that for you? What does that mean? Our desire has been that God has put a reconciliatory story amongst us. And that is particularly in a racial context, an economic context. Uh, it's obviously broader than that. And so there's addiction recovery work and all of that. But the gospel in Durban in this generation what does it look like for us? The gospel has to have a landing point. It has to have legs and feet and arms and hands. It has to land itself somewhere. What does it look like if it is not a reconciled story, if it wasn't Jesus Christ who came, who wiped away all sin and then tore down the dividing walls of hostility, which made those that were excluded, those that were separated, those that were isolated, an opportunity to have access to the Father and access to community that they never had access to. That's the gospel of Jesus. That's how what our sin removed means for us as it lands in this place. Have we received the grace of Jesus? Is there the evidence of God's grace? Yes, as a community, you've still got to answer the question for your own life. Have you received God's grace? And is there the evidence of it in your own story and in your own life? And then third... It leads us as we turn away from sin, so as we drop our emotional distance, as we allow people to come into that space, as we receive the grace of God for sin, as we understand that the gospel lands in accessibility and reconciliation, it allows us then to move on to this third thing, which is in that day, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and your fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. Do we allow people access into our own grace stories? About 20 years ago, I started going to Lesotho very, very often, six, seven times a year. And I did that for six, seven, eight years, going into Lesotho. And as we started, I remember I would be, we would go as a team and we'd be invited to somebody's home. And uh, I am, uh, 20 years ago, I was a white boy from the north suburbs of Durban. And so to go into rural Lesotho, where... There's holes in the walls and holes in the roof and, when I, and, and snow in winter. And when I ask for where I'm going to sleep and they just point to the concrete floor, it, it was a very uncomfortable time for me. And yet the Spirit of God kept calling me back and calling me back and calling me back. And over years of going there, it became one of the places that I absolutely loved going and we used to have a venue, the Scripture Union Camp there, which was a beautiful brick building, a beautiful roof. It had, uh, it had heaters. It had bunk beds so you could sleep on a mattress with warm, uh, uh, with warm blankets. 
I found myself, when I was taking over the lead of those trips, saying, actually, we're not going to go to the Scripture Union base. I want to be hosted in homes. And what was the transition? Well, as I started to sit more and more around people's tables, and yes, it was uncomfortable because it wasn't my type of bed, and it wasn't my type of food, and it wasn't my type of temperature, I started to see the grace of God under their vine and under their fig tree. And 20 years ago, I would go to bed saying, God, what am I doing? I'm sleeping on a concrete floor in winter in Lesotho with my bag as my pillow. To 17 years ago, going to bed in the same condition saying, thank you, God, that I've been able to see your grace, that these people have been humble enough to drop their emotional God to allow me into a space to see the work of God in them, that I've been able to receive the grace of Jesus because they have not withheld their grace from me. And that went on for years and years and years. And so the question for us, as the Scriptures would say, in those days, if we want to be symbolic of things to come and we want to authenticate what it means to be truly human with Jesus, then it is to pull people into our shade, into our vine, into our fig. And it's not defined upon materialistic lines. It's defined around sitting around a table or sitting around a fire or sitting on the floor and telling the grace stories of God and what He's done in our lives. And as we do that more and more and more, people start to become less aware of the surroundings and more aware of the God story. More around of a, a, a beautiful eternity which is captured in a moment in a relationship. And dare I say this, that as we get older, it becomes harder because we get used to our comforts. We get used to our way of doing things. But actually, the gospel would demand if we were to to follow Jesus, if we are to be followers in His community. We've got to take hold of the Scriptures which said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. How do we make sense of that? If we want to keep taking hold of that which is comfortable for us. See, the Gospel doesn't just invite us into access to our Father in Heaven, but it demands of us that we just don't receive grace but we only, but we become the products of grace that others may too Live under our fig and under our vine, whatever your fig and vine may be. Because there is blessing and there is beauty in it. And so we are born again to be human again. Anthem, can we be more human? Can we make those decisions to be more human? Can we make the decision where we will drop our emotional guards? We will turn from our evil ways and our evil practices. We'll drop our emotional guards, that we will not be found to be isolated. We will not be found to be those that are alone, even though we're in close physical proximity. And that we will also be there for those that find themselves in those positions. Will we receive the grace of Jesus Christ? And will our lives be an authentication of what He did, which was to forgive us of our sin? So can we live in the freedom that that comes with? And maybe be those that don't just carry the gospel, but are those that deliver the gospel through opening up our fig tree and opening up our vine, whatever that may look like, 
so that others too may have access into this beautiful story of Jesus Christ. Anthem, you are beautiful. And we're becoming more beautiful. The longer we're with Jesus, the more beautiful we become. But while we live in this city, there is work to do. There are people to rescue. There are people to love. There are foreigners that need to know they have a place. There are those with big bank accounts and high walls that need to know they are loved. Can we go where Jesus has broken down the dividing wall? Can we walk through those dividing walls? Can we receive His grace today? I think it's an incredible privilege for us to live in this day. An incredible privilege to live in this day. So much opportunity for the grace of Jesus to flow through our lives. Let's not hide it. Let's not hold it. Let's not isolate it in our homes. Let's allow the world to see how good this Jesus is that we've come to know. Can we do that? Jesus, our prayer today, our prayer today is that we would be born again to be human again. We want to thank you that it is you that gives us new birth. It is you, Jesus, who has shown us what it means to be fully human. And our desire is that we would be those that authenticate your life. Because we receive your forgiveness of sin. We receive your grace. And we will not hold it for our own benefit. But we will allow others into that space and into that grace. And so, Spirit of God, would you be upon us? Would you move upon us? Would you lead us? Would you shape us? Would you transform us? Would you teach us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Friends, I want to thank you for coming out. I know the Sunday after the Anthem Summit is a big effort to get out here as all of our adrenaline takes a taper. I want to thank you for those that are here for the first time. Just uh, thank you for coming in and trusting your, your families, trusting yourselves to us and this community. And uh, please stick around for a cup of coffee. We'd love to just chat. Tell some stories of what happened last weekend. Uh, let's share in one another's grace of Jesus Christ. Bless you guys. We'll catch you in the week. Amen.